spirit at all. I believe there's spirit to write this for us. We're going to jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, when you find it, let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's word, and uh, we will preach what God has laid on our heart. I hope you've been praying about the service today, praying that God would give us what we need. I know I have the message that God's given me to preach. It's been a blessing to me, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, and we're going to start in verse number 1. Read down through about verse number five. We'll stop and we'll pray and let you be seated after we pray. First Corinthians chapter number two, <clears throat> look down to verse number one. The Bible says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Watch verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's stop there and pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here today. Thank you for the wonderful singing, the wonderful weather, the wonderful company, the wonderful word that we have to open up this morning. And I pray that, Father, you would speak to us through it. Father, we know that you desire to do that today. Lord, we're not gathering here out of tradition. We're gathering, Lord, here today to hear from you. And I pray, Father, our hearts are open and we're ready. If there be any sin in our life, Lord, help us confess that, forsake it even now, that we'd not hinder the service of the Spirit today. I pray that if there's one lost, Lord, help them to see their need for Christ today and be saved before it's eternally too late. And I pray your will's done in this service for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one of my favorite parts of this time of year, there's so many things that this time of the year signals for me. Uh, We're getting around to hunting season, and uh, if you hear me say this weather makes me want to shoot something, don't panic. That usually means an animal. Uh, And if I do shoot at you, it'll probably be with a squirt gun or a Nerf gun. Nothing dangerous, I assure you, but it's hunting season rolling around. Uh, We're getting close to the holiday seasons rolling around. And so this time of the year signals a lot of things that I really enjoy in my life. And uh, one of those things that I really enjoy is I enjoy watching college football. Uh, I particularly enjoy watching it when my team wins. And so I enjoy college football about once every 10 years. Uh, But I enjoy watching uh, all of the other teams while they get to play. And uh, yesterday I was watching LSU play Mississippi State. Both are teams that I I like. Both are teams that I follow. Uh, Obviously, I'm not either against either of them. And was watching the game. And the game started off as it usually does with LSU not looking like they knew what they were doing. Uh, It seems like we would learn from our losses, but uh, for some reason we reset and we start with a blank slate every week. And Mississippi State was just running the ball on us. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know why they saw those, didn't see those large holes up front. And the Mississippi State running back just kept running through the holes. And uh, one by one, they began marching down the field. And had it not been for some turnovers, we would have lost. Now, at the end of the day, Brother Harold texted me and he says, well, uh, you guys beat us. And I says, well, it wasn't much of a win uh, because we couldn't stop the run yesterday. Uh, I mean, Mississippi State was running and running and running, and every time they wanted to run the ball, uh, they were able to move the ball on us. But then they did something that helped us. All of a sudden, they started throwing the ball. And once they started throwing the ball, things didn't go as well for them uh, as the running was going for them. And here's what I told Brother Harold yesterday. I said, Brother Harold, I said, if you had kept doing what you were doing at the beginning, we would have lost. Because what you were doing at the beginning was working. 
And what happened was you got away from what brought them success, and that's what caused them to lose. Now, I understand. Look, armchair coaching is just like armchair pastoring. It's a lot easier to do from that perspective, okay? It's easy to armchair coach on the couch, and it's easy to armchair pastor from the pew or from the chair. I understand it's a lot harder than that, but it seemed like if they had just kept doing the way that they started doing things, they wouldn't have lost. Now, I want you to stick with me this morning. At the end, this was just a game, right? It was just a game. In, the end, eternity, in all of eternity, the game that was played yesterday really will mean nothing. It really means nothing, win or loss in this season, because Alabama is just going to do what Alabama always does uh, and beat everybody, okay? So the win and the loss is not going to matter in the end. But here's what I want you to consider this morning. What if that type of thinking were to cost you your family? And what if that type of thinking were to cost you your children, to cost you your church, or to cost you your nation? You say, what kind of thinking is that? Well, that is getting away from the things that got us to the successful place that we've arrived to. You know, the reason America is what America is today is because of how we started. We started as one nation under God. And the reason America is no longer successful as we used to be is we've gotten away from the things that brought us success. Now look, folks, the reason we as the church are not as successful as the church that we once were, I'm talking about the church collectively in America, is the church has gotten away from the things that brought us success, and we're going to see what that is here this morning. I want to give you some good news. The good news is today that God has written a game plan that will always bring success if we'll just stick with the winning game plan. I watched the quarterbacks for both teams yesterday, and they're out there on the field, and they're sizing up the opposition that was on the field, and they would look to the sideline, and they're squinting really hard to get the play in from the coach. And as soon as the coach sent the play in, they knew exactly what they were to do. And as long as they followed the play call, things went all right. But here's what happens. You get up to that line of scrimmage, and all of a sudden, you decide you want to call an audible. You decide that you want to change the play at the last minute. You know what the coach has said, but you decide for some reason you don't like the looks of things, and you're going to change the play at the line of scrimmage, and that's when things begin falling apart, not only on the football field, but on the field of life. How often, watch this, has our heavenly coach, if you will, giving us a game-winning game plan that will always bring success? Do you know inside the covers of this book is a game plan that will bring success to a nation? The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. God says stick with that plan. Don't call an audible. Don't get up to the line of scrimmage and change things the way you see them. Just do what the play was that I gave you in the playbook. Do you know inside the covers of this book, there's a game plan for a successful home? It's in here. God's designed it. You stick with the plan. God says, I designed it. One man and one woman doing things my way, and that's the design for a successful home. Just stick with the playbook, and everything's going to be all right. The same thing with our country. The same thing with our children. The Bible says, train them up. All right? They're not going to turn out good on accident. All right? Winning teams, as much as I hate it, Brother Gary and Brother David and Brother Andrew, our Alabama folks that are here today, those teams don't happen by accident. They have a playbook, and they stick with the playbook, and they stick with the plan, and things turn out right when they stick with the plan. Now, the reason things are falling apart today in America, and things are falling apart in the church, and things are falling apart in your home, and things are falling apart in our children's lives, is we've left the playbook. 
And if we want to get back to being a successful home and Christian and church, we've got to get back to what the coach is called in and run the plays that he's called. Why? Because they work every time. Now, folks, understand something this morning. God has a plan, and we're scratching our heads today wondering why things are messing up, why things are falling apart. It's because we've called too many audibles. We've got up to the line of scrimmage, and we've decided, I don't like the way things look. They're not going to like what we're going to do. And if we run that play, it's going to cause trouble for us. Can I tell you something? The Bible says in the world you're going to have tribulation. Understand when you stick with this playbook and live by what thus saith the Lord, the other team's not going to like it very much. But then you've got to decide who you're going to listen to. Now, folks, I don't know about you. I want my home to be successful. I want my daughter to be successful. I want our church to be successful. I want our country to be successful. But it's not going to be successful until we get back to doing what God says is going to make us successful because the origin of the home, the origin of this nation, the origin of this church is who? It's of God. And if it's going to be successful again, the answer is going to be of God. Now understand this today. No matter how hard we try, we will never win doing things our way. The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. What's the end of that? The Bible says death. My thoughts and your ideas and my game plan is not going to work. God's game plan always works. And no matter how hard you try to make your way work, it's not going to happen. I read a frightening story this past week. It was a test of insanity back in the 1800s. True story. The way they tested insanity was they placed you in a room and they closed the door. Inside that room there was a sink and that sink was stopped up but you didn't know it. Inside that room there was also a bucket and there was also a mop. All of a sudden when the signal was given the valve was turned on and that sink began to flow and that sink began to fill up. And suddenly the sink began to overflow into the floor and to flood the floor and go out from under the door. And the way that they tested your insanity was someone that was insane suddenly picked up the mop and began mopping the floor and putting the water in the bucket. The way that they tested that you were sane was you stood up and you turned the faucet off so that the water would quit overflowing. Now, folks, I hate to tell you this, and I'm not trying to insult you today. I believe we've gone insane in America. We're trying to mop up a problem that will only be fixed by turning it off at the source. And the source of our problem this morning is very simple. We've gotten away from what works. God says, look, you want a godly country? Just do what you did in the beginning. That worked back then. You want a godly home? Do what you did back in the beginning. It was a holy matrimony. You know when someone stands up here and they get married, it's not just a ritual we go through. It's a union and a design by Almighty God, and it's called holy for a reason. And God says if you want your matrimony to be successful, it's got to be the way I designed it. It's got to be holy, or else you're just spinning your wheels trying to mop up the water on the floor and the faucet still running. Now, how does this relate to what we just read this morning? Well, the church at, at Corinth got off to a good start. They were being used of God, they were blessed of God, they were born of God, and all of a sudden we find them getting sidetracked, and now it's a mess. The Apostle Paul is writing First and Second Corinthians to get them back on track. Now, how does he do that? Boy, there's a wonderful, wonderful principle here I want to show you this morning. The only way to get them back on track was to remind them of how they got right to begin with, and I want you to look down in verse 1. We're going to read it again. And I, brethren, when I came, he's speaking about when he came the first time. 
When I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now notice what's happening here. The apostle Paul says, remember when I came to you, what what started the whole thing and the root of that visit was one thing and it was Christ. The reason the church worked and was successful and things were going well is because it was founded upon Christ. And Paul says, if you want to get right, you've got to remember what made you right to begin with. And it was one thing. It was Christ. Paul said Christ was at the root of all of it. Now, folks, this seems simple this morning. But the reason we're not successful today is not because what we've got away from. It's who we've gotten away from. All right? It's not what we got away from. We say, well, you know what we got away from was this and what we got away from was that. No, no, it's not a what, it's a who. And the church has gotten away from the foundation that was simply Christ. And if we're going to get back to becoming who God's called us to be as a church, as a nation, and as a family, we've got to realize it begins going back to a foundation that must be built upon Christ. Paul says, remember verse 1, verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, you know what he's trying to do? He's writing them this letter. We're going to jump into this real quickly. Do you know what he's trying to do? He said, you've got to reconsider Christ. He said, you've got to go back to where we started. What, what we were when we started, we were founded upon Christ, and we stayed close to That's when it worked. But you've gotten away from what we were founded upon, and that's why things are now falling apart. Can I tell you this morning, no one ever got away from church that didn't first get away from Christ? I just got away from church. No, look, long before you got away from church, you got away from Christ. Do you know no one ever cheated in their marriage that didn't first cheat on Christ? You can't walk with Christ. You can't stay close to Christ. Watch this and cheat on everything else in your life. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now, folks, understand this this morning. If we're going to get back to the church that we need to be, the home we need to be, the Christian we need to be, we've got to realize we've got to reconsider Christ and figure out where Christ is at in our life because, look, even God-fearing church-going folks drift away sometimes. And the drifting that's happening in our life, the drifting that's happening with your mind, The drifting that's happening in our country is simply a reflection of a drifting away from Christ. And so this morning, we're going to preach a very, very simple message on reconsidering Christ. Reconsidering Christ. Here's what Paul says. Here's a church that's a mess. We're going to read about just how much of a mess they were in. You think your life is messed up? These folks had some messed up stuff in their life. They had messed up stuff in their church. And Paul says the answer is you've got to reconsider Christ, get back to where we used to be, and find Christ in that proper place in your life. Now, three things this morning I want to help you reconsider Christ. Look at verse number one. Paul says, I didn't come with you the excellency of speech declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined, watch this, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now watch how he's showing them they need to reconsider Christ in their church. He begins by reminding them of the first thing he did. He says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Number one this morning, it begins with a focus on Christ. If you're going to reconsider Christ, you've got to realize you've got to make sure your focus is on Christ. 
And Paul says, when I came to the church at Corinth to plant this church, that it would be what all that God desired it would be. He says, my focus was on one thing, and my focus was on Christ. Now, this is a serious point we've got to get today. Their failures in their church was a reflection upon the focus of the church. Okay? The failures within the church of Corinth were a direct result of the focus. And you could tell their focus had gotten off. Why? Because of their failures. Do you know what the failures in my life are all a result of? The focus of my life. You know, for about six months after I moved here, it was just a glorious time. It was great. Man, just all the little busy bees on property, everybody's doing with their little jobs and things going here. And man, time to study, time to pray, time to do the will of God. And all of the sudden, this thing called COVID happens and disrupts my world. I didn't know it, didn't, it probably didn't disrupt yours. It disrupted mine. Everything's out of whack. Study time's out of whack. Sleep time's out of whack. I mean, it's just problematic and for a while, you're focusing on response after response after response. I mean, it's like juggling chainsaws. I mean, that's what it felt like at times. And all of a sudden, I begin to notice my passion for lost souls began to dwindle a little bit. I began to notice that my preaching wasn't what it needed to be. You're like, amen, all right? Wonderful opportunity for you to amen that one right there. Wasn't what it ought to be. Just didn't have the fire that I should have. All of a sudden, I began to notice there were areas of my life that were failing. They were not what they ought to be. And you know what those failures were all about? COVID had changed my focus. I'd become more focused on COVID and responding to COVID than I did remaining focused on Christ. And I had failures in my life because my focus was off in my life. Now, folks, if I can admit it, you ought to be able to admit it too. The failures in our country, the failures in our church, the failures in your home, the failures in your heart are a direct result of the fact we've lost our focus. Our focus is not on Christ anymore. And Paul says, hey, church at Corinth, can I tell you what your problem is? You've lost your focus. Paul says, when we first started this thing, verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, the only thing that's going to make a difference now in your life, in your home, in your church, and in your country, the only thing that will make a difference in all of those things is the one thing that made the difference in the beginning. You know what that was? It was Christ. What made the difference in your life to begin with? It was Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. You know what that means? You're different. Now, some of you are different in a different way. I'm talking about different in a good way, Okay. Do you know what changed your life? It was Christ. Now look, folks, you can pretend and you can put on a suit and you can say amen and you can have all the things in order that look like you're a different person, but you're not different until you're different in here. And Christ is the only one that can make you different in here. But thanks be to God, if any man, don't you love that part, any? That means, look, don't matter how messed up your life is, you say, I've had so many people try to talk me out of coming to know Christ as their Savior. So you don't know me. I said, no, I don't know you, but I know the Bible says if any man, if any man, any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So what is that saying? It's Christ that makes the difference. Now watch this. If we want to get back to that place where we used to be, we've got to go back to what made the difference to begin with, and that was Christ. That was Christ. Folks, we've lost our focus. 
Our focus used to be on Christ. It was about Christ. We exalted and we lifted up Christ. We followed Christ. It was all about Christ. In the church today, we've lost our focus. We've lost our focus. You ask people why they go to the church they go to, you'll be amazed. 95% of them will say something other than Christ. I like the music. I like the people. I like the preacher. I like the soft chairs. I like the fact that he gets us out sooner than you do. Everybody's got some reason they like to go to church. Can I tell you? If your focus is not on Christ, your life will reflect that, and it's going to be reflected in failure. Paul says the failures of the church at Corinth is simply this. The failure is you've got your eyes off of Christ. That's why I'm reminding you. He says, hey, reconsider Christ. Why? Because when I came to you, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, the only way we can be renewed this year, that's our theme. By the way, the year's drawing to a close. I hope you found some renewal in your life this year. I hope you have. I hope you've renewed your calling a little bit for what God's called you to do. I hope you've renewed your character a little bit, becoming more who like Christ would have you to become. I hope you've renewed your commitment a little bit. You're not going to be in and out and wishy-washy. But can I tell you the only way to be renewed is to turn back to what made you new to begin with. And if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. You're not going to be a new creature by just changing your habits. Why? My diet says all of that. Yesterday, my soul, sitting there watching a football game with my family, I went over my 1,500 calories a week, blew them out of the water. I think I blew them out of the water just at lunch, honey. I think I did. Pizza pockets and hot dogs wrapped in, you know, pigs in a blanket and all kind of good stuff. And then I had Werther's caramels. I mean, I just had a good old time with it. Why? Because I'm not very good at changing my habits. You see, what we need this morning is change from within. They can only be brought by Christ. So number one, reconsidering Christ means getting our focus back on Christ. What was it that changed the life of the woman at the well? Was it an intervention? Her friends gathered around her and handcuffed her. Said, all right, you're going to live right one way or the other. You know, chased all the, the five husbands she had off. And man, listen, we're going to get you straightened out. No, it wasn't that. It was Christ. What changed the woman at the well to go from someone married five times to someone who became virtually one of the best soul winners you read about in Scripture? It was Christ. That's what it was. Folks, we're wondering how to fix people nowadays, and we fix people by getting our focus back on the only one that can fix them, and that's Christ. What about Zacchaeus this morning? What changed Zacchaeus' life? Well, here's what happened. They had a government audit on him. We laugh. But we think, look, we think the same things are going to change our country. It's going to come from Washington. It's not going to happen that way. They had a government audit. Zacchaeus, we're finding out you're a little bit over. Now, the government would never complain about having too much tax dollars, okay? But this is just a hypothetical illustration. They come up, Zacchaeus, it looks like you're being dishonest. You know what? We're going to, look, we're going to, we're going to throw you in jail, Zacchaeus. We're going, to, we're going to strip away the title you have, and you're just going to be a, a lowly grunt over there in the, in the office, you know, because, hey, you're just not doing right. No, that's not what changed Zacchaeus. Do you know what changed Zacchaeus' life? It was Christ. It was Christ. What changed the demoniac of Gadara? It was Christ. What raised Lazarus from the dead? It was Christ. Folks, look, this is not rocket science. This is simple this morning, that if the church is going to be what it's supposed to be, we've got to get our focus back on Christ. Why? It's him that makes everybody new. It's him that changes people. Now, hear me out this morning. 
Hear me out. Look at our country today. What's happening in our country? Immorality reigns. Immorality reigns. It's everywhere. Matter of fact, not only does it reign, it's popular. Corruption reigns in America. It's everywhere. It's on both sides of the aisle. We just notice it when somebody else is in office. It's everywhere. Immorality, corruption, and hopelessness. People are just hopeless today in our world. But I want you to think about something. What ruled in the life of the woman of the well? It was immorality. Christ fixed that. What ruled in the heart of Zacchaeus? It was corruption. Christ fixed that. What ruled in the life of, 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 of Lazarus? And what ruled in the life of the demoniac? Do you know when you're dead, you're hopeless? Will we agree on that one? All right, you're dead, you're hopeless. You don't believe me? Go pick you up some roadkill on the way home today. And you sit there and you pray over it and pray over it and pray over it all you want. Nothing's happening. Why? It's hopeless. And yet all of a sudden, Zacchaeus, I mean, uh, uh, Lazarus went from a hopeless situation to living. What happened? It was Christ. The answer for immorality, corruption, and hopelessness in America is what it's always been. It's Christ. We honestly have bitten off on this false idea that we can change people by changing their mind. I'm going to talk to you in heaven. It's not going to happen that way. We've got to get our focus back on Christ. That's why I'm so thankful for our RU program here. You know, it's the banner on the South Lawn out here. So thankful because our recovery program, do you know why it works? Not just because AJ's, uh, Brother AJ's smart and good-looking guy. Amen, amen. Brother Michael loves Brother AJ. Can I tell you why our recovery program works? Because the whole premise of the program is relationship with Christ. That's the only thing that's going to get things back to where they're supposed to be. If we want to be different than we are, we've got to go back and find out what made us different to begin with, and it was simply Christ. So number one, notice the focus on Christ. He says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Truth this morning, what we focus on in our life is going to affect our life. What you focus on in your life is going to have an effect on your life. So how do you know that? Well, just look. Look at your life and what your life resembles. Your life resembles what you focus on. Your life is going to resemble what you focus on. This morning, I'm wearing a gold tie, a purple hanky, and a purple shirt with LSU cufflinks. Why? Because that's my team. That's my team. All right? Good, bad, indifferent. That's my team. And I reflect that this morning. Why? It comes out in my life. I'm not wearing crimson. Amen. And Sandy's wearing crimson this morning. They're Alabama. It comes out. The focus of your life is going to affect your life. I read a really interesting article this week by F.B. Meyer. He says, do you know that you can't focus on the rhythm of your heart without it affecting your heart? I tried it. It's for real. You can't focus on the rhythm of your heart without affecting the rhythm of your heart. You start thinking, have you ever started thinking about, oh, it feels like, oh, I feel like I'm getting faint. Oh, I feel like my heart's starting to race. Of course it is. You had three churros for breakfast. It's always going to race after that. And you start thinking, oh, you know what? I think I feel hot. Oh, I think I feel sick. Next thing you know, your heart's racing. Why? You're focusing on it. And when you focus on it, it affects you. Now, folks, look, that's the problem we have today. We're not focusing on Christ. That's why we're not affected by Christ. We're focusing on the world. That's why we're affected by the world. But if we just got our focus back to where it needed to be, we'd be changed by the Christ that is the focal point of our attention. 
That's what happened when you first got saved, isn't it? This is why Paul, just a few verses later, chapter 1, uh, he would go on to say, but we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness. He says, we preach Christ. Do you know why that's what we ought to be about here at Central Baptist Church? Because that's the only thing that's going to make a difference. We can do our best to attract people, but if we don't preach Christ, we've, we've made a mistake. Now, I want to show you a blessing with you before I give you number two. In this church at Corinth, there was great division. There was great division. You had ideas about this and ideas about that, and you had schisms in the church, and you had friction within the church. By the way, do you know that that's in every church? Do you know why it's in every church? Because churches are made up of humans. Some of you, I'm not sure, but most of us are humans. Humans are different. Do you know there's friction in my home sometimes? Do you know why? Because we're two different humans. She wants her way, I want my way, and buddy, we'd make a a crackerjack law team because we love to argue. So there's friction and division in every church. And I've been thinking a lot about this uh, throughout this week preparing for the message. Do you know COVID has brought about a lot of divisions amongst our ideologies? Just to be honest, it has. Okay? Let's not pretend it's not real. We all have different opinions on, on where this came from. Was it a conspiracy? Is it a conspiracy? I honestly don't know, okay? So I can't tell you that. Thank God I don't have to preach on that because I don't know the answer. We have differences on opinion on the vaccine and not the vaccine and this, that, and the other. We have differences and divisions. And boy, there have been times over the last two years with all this COVID and different opinions because I know just about what all of you think. And I'm like, keep them separated. <laughs> You know, I'm just being honest. Let's just be honest. We all, all have different opinions. I'll bet you there's probably 10 different uh, perspectives on this whole virus thing within our church, okay? And I'm thinking, how do we keep this thing from blowing apart? How do we keep our church members from killing each other? I want a prison ministry. Not that way. And then the answer was very clear. It's our focus. Our focus. If we get our focus on Christ... What we're focused on is greater than anything that would seek to divide us if we keep our focus on Christ. Paul says, here's a church with divisions, disagreements, and opinions. How do we keep that church together? He says, remember what I did in the beginning. Reconsider Christ. Why? I determined, look at verse 2, to know, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Before I give you number two, you got to see this before we move on. Verse 1, notice what it wasn't. The answer was an excellency of speech or wisdom. Oftentimes we think, you know what? We can replace Christ by just being excellent. No. No. You know what? If we put on a good enough show, we will attract people. And they'll like the excellency of speech. And they'll love those words that just soothe their ears. No, he says, that was not the answer. The answer was Christ. So number one, it's got to be a focus on Christ. Number two, let's hurry. In case you're wondering, it's 12 o'clock on the nose. I know some of you are afraid to look at your watch. I just want to go ahead and tell you. Bible says in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now watch verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now here's what he's saying. He says, look, the reason you should be focused on Christ, he goes to verse 5, he says, the reason we were focused on Christ is I wanted you to stand. All right? He's looking down the road. 
And the only way this church was going to stand was to keep their focus on Christ. Because watch this, number two, when you keep your focus on Christ, you become fashioned after Christ. He says, I want you to stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, God always looks to the end product. You read this book. It's all because of what God wants you to be and what God wants you to become. The devil always deals with the temporal. The devil always deals in this life. Temporal, seasonal pleasures. But God says, look, I want you to stay focused on Christ, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, Paul could tell they lost their focus by what they became. You see, he says the reason we were focused on Christ in the beginning is because I wanted you to become a church that would stand. Can I tell you, we've got to stay focused at Central Baptist Church on Christ. Why? Because we want this church to be here for our children. I want this church to stand. There's got to be a lighthouse in Hattiesburg that shines the gospel of Jesus Christ to our area so that our children can come to know Christ. But if we don't keep our focus, then we're not going to be fashioned after Christ. We're not going to stand. Now, Paul saw the failures in this church. Matter of fact, let me show you a few of them. Look at chapter 3 and look at verse number 3. Paul says, For you're yet carnal, for where is there is among you, among you envying and strife and division. There's the divisions we're talking about. Are you not carnal and walk as men? Look, Paul is looking at who they've become. He's looking and he says, Hey, you've become carnal. That's how I know your focus is off. Folks, look, if you want to get back to where you used to be, you've got to get to the place now where you realize I've become carnal. I'm not what I need to be. And in order to me to be fashioned like Christ, I've got to get my focus back on Christ. Look at chapter 5. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now, wait a minute. Is Paul preaching to some lost group of heathens? No. This is the letter to the church at Corinth. It's reported commonly. What does that mean? Everybody in the neighborhood knows what you're doing. And the Bible says there is adultery, fornication among you, and such fornication as is not as much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife, his stepmother. In the church, Paul says, I'm looking at what you've become. And what you've become is proof that your focus is not on Christ because you can't keep your focus on Christ and become a fornicator. He says it doesn't happen that way. Now, folks, our life and who we become and whether we stand is direct result of whether or not we keep our focus on Christ. And I hate to tell you, to be honest this morning, our lives, by the way, be careful what you put on Facebook, okay? Make it easy for me to preach. <laughs> I'm just being honest. We put our life out there for the entire world to see. The whole world knows our focus is not on Christ. Why? Because of what we've become. Paul says, I wanted to keep our focus on Christ. Why? He says, because that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Understand this truth today. Your outlook is going to determine your outcome. What you're focused on is going to determine who you become and what you become and whether or not you stand what you're focused on. Now, folks, can I ask you something this morning? Are you focused on Christ? Because the only way to be fashioned like Christ is to keep your focus on Christ. Now, folks, you know me. I'm not a rocket scientist. This is not deep, but this is something we're missing. 
The only way to have a life that's fashioned after Christ is to have a life that's focused on Christ. How do you know that? 1 John 2, 6, listen to what the Bible says. He that saith he abideth in him, abideth means focused, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. If your focus is truly on Christ, you say, I am abiding in him, your life is going to say that you're abiding in him. Why? Because if your focus is on Christ, your life is going to be fashioned after Christ. Can I tell you something that I heard for years and I didn't believe it until I got older and now I believe it? There's a lot of things that could fit in that category, okay? But I'm only going to give you one. Like turnip greens, you know? I used to think they stunk. Walked to my great-grandmother's house. Oh, man, horrible. Now I love those stinking things. I mean, they're good. You never know. Maybe there's hope for chitlins one day, but I still think those things are abomination before the Lord. Especially boiled. I could maybe handle it fried, but anyway. One of those things that I always heard is that the longer couples are married, the more they start looking like each other. (laughs) I really did used to hear that. I'm like, no. And for some of you ladies' sake, I sure hope that's not true. (laughs) Because I know your husband. I hope you rub off on your husband. I hope your husband doesn't rub off on you. But the more I begin to notice, sure enough, you start resembling one another. You start acting like one another. You start liking the same things, finishing each other. It's just so cute, you know? I took Leslie to the goalpost. Is that what it's called? The goalpost? The goal goalpost, the sandwich place over here the other day. And evidently, that's a place for people over 60. Because we were the youngest people in there. We went in and I sat down. Boy, they have a good hamburger. Boy, $4.99 for their burger. It's delicious. And we're sitting there and we're looking around, all these little couples sitting together. I mean, it was just packed out, all these little cute couples that were in there. And they looked like each other. It's just amazing. It just started happening. I don't know. You know, I pray for my wife's sake that doesn't happen, but they just looked like each other. Man, you could just tell. They were acting like one another. They knew each other wanted, hey, I'll get you the lid. I'll get you the Splenda. I'll get the door. It was just so cute how they complimented one another. Why? They spent years together. They began rubbing off on one another. Now, wait a minute. What did that verse say? 1 John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought also to walk even as he walked. Paul says, I can tell you're not walking with him because you don't look anything like him. He says, your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, the reason we were focused on Christ is so we fashioned after Christ and having adultery and division and all these things amongst you. It shows you you're not focused on Christ. Folks, listen, whether we want to hide it or not, our life speaks far more louder than our words. People can tell. People can tell. I even heard one time that people start looking like their pets, and boy, I sure hope that's not true. But boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if you just focused in on Christ so much that your life began to be fashioned like Christ? Do you know, before I met Leslie, I never pulled for LSU. I pulled for Mississippi State. Amen. Brother Heath back here, amen at me on that one. And I met her and fell in love with her. And I hate to use the word fell. I like to use the word led. Falls usually when you get hurt. Nothing good comes out of falling, usually. I was led into love with her, and, and the more I spent time with her, and she liked LSU, and she didn't threaten me, I promise. She didn't threaten me. Before long, man, I noticed I had bought myself an LSU hoodie, LSU socks, 
I wore it only in Louisiana, though. Didn't come back here and couldn't do that. And after a while, look, the more time I spent with her, I didn't care anymore. I started wearing my LSU in Mississippi. Got me some cufflinks to go along with it. Some socks. Even got a tattoo. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> got it all looking good. I don't have a tie clip yet. Man, I'm going to get one. Look, the more time I spent with her, I didn't care who knew. I didn't care who knew. Because I was becoming fashion like the one that I was spending so much time with and I was focused on. Do you know the more time you spend with Christ, the more you'll become like Christ? And you'll even get to a place where you don't care that the world doesn't like it. You'll wear, look, you'll wear your Jesus hoodie out in public. You'll sing your Jesus music at work. What happens? Well, you're becoming fashion like Christ. Paul says we were focused on Christ in verse 2, and the goal was that we would stand, that we would become fashioned like Christ. Now, I believe this morning that the church for too long has dealt with a more of a psychology-type spiritualism. So what do you mean by that? I know we're going to go a little bit long this morning, but you need to hear this, okay? All right? We love it when games go overtime. We love it when concerts have an encore. Let's sit still just for a little while and make sure we receive the entire message of what God would have for us today. I was thinking this morning about how we've dealt in this psychology spiritualism to where we have guilted people to doing the right thing. We've pressured people to do the right thing or even come up with these cute little ways to tricking people to do the right thing. And yet we wonder why when they grow up and they get out of church, all of a sudden, why they're not doing the right thing because there was never really a real change in here. We just guilted them, pressured them, tricked them into doing the right thing. When, watch this, can I tell you what would be so much easier to get people to do the right thing? Just get them to follow Christ. Let me prove it for you. Stick with me. John 13, 14, Jesus said, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. That's service. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Watch this. Instead of guilting people into serving God, all we need to do is get them to follow the example of Christ. And if they just follow the example of Christ, watch this, they'll find themselves serving because Christ served. It's amazing. I don't have to guilt you into volunteering for the bus ministry. They need help right now. I don't have to guilt you into volunteering for RU. I don't have to guilt you to singing in the choir. Why? Because, hey, you're following Christ, and Christ was a servant. And so you become a servant because he was. I don't have to guilt you into it. I don't have to pressure you into it. We keep reading 1 John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought also himself so to walk, even as he walked. Getting people to live the right way is a tough thing. Boy, as a pastor, sometimes I feel like the old school teachers, if I could just open up your head and pour it in there, you know, and God says, yeah, I want to do the same thing to you, pastor. It's just hard sometimes. But wait a minute, that verse said there, if people just followed after Christ, they would walk as he walked. That's why Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. If you're ever curious about your conduct, should I or shouldn't I? I don't know how many phone calls I get about that kind of stuff. Should I or shouldn't I? Should I drink it? Should I smoke it? You know, should I wear it? Should I listen to it? Should I watch it? Should I hang around them? I mean, all kinds of questions. Watch this. I want to help you. I want to help you this morning. If you just remember what Galatians 2.20 said, the Bible says the life that you now live is Christ living through you. Ask yourself the old question of what would Jesus do? 
Why? Because it's him that's supposed to be living through you. You're not living your life the way you want to. You're living it the way he wants to. And the more you focus on him, the more you're fashioned after him. And your life is the witness it's supposed to be. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to get people to think the right way. Right? I've tried to convince you for two years to get on LSU bandwagon and you just haven't listened. Changing the way people think is hard. I could spend my entire life and never change the way you think. But the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to change the way you think? Focus on Christ. It'll change the way you act. It'll change the way you serve. It'll change the way you think. John 15, 2, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. You want to learn how to love people? Follow Christ. You focus on Christ, you'll learn how to love people. I've told people oftentimes, you know, Jesus walked up to the woman at the well. I think some of folks would have pushed the woman in the well. I'm just being honest. Why? Because we haven't learned to love the way Christ loved. We love the way that we want to be loved, and we love the lovable people, but Christ didn't love all the unlovable people. He loved them all. Number two, we focus on Christ, become fashioned after Christ, and here's the conclusion, and we'll be done. Why is this so important? Why is it important that we reconsider Christ this morning, that we focus in on him, become fashioned like him? Well, number three, it's because we're going to finish with Christ. We're going to finish with Christ. Can I tell you this morning, whether you've trusted Christ as your Savior or not, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, there's one guarantee I can give you, and it's that you're going to finish with Christ. You're going to finish with Christ. Does it mean how much of a winding road you live in this life and detours you take running from God? I want you to know who's waiting at the finish line, and it's Christ. Do you know what motivates me to try to keep my focus on Christ even though I fail? Do you know what lights a fire under me to be fashioned like Christ even though I fail? It's knowing I'm going to finish with Christ. There's no way out of it. You know what the Bible says about me? 2 Corinthians 5.10, if you're saved, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Man, I get goosebumps. Not good ones. Why? Because I know I haven't kept my focus. I know I haven't been fashioned like Christ. And knowing that I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of who? Christ. You know what will motivate you to live right? The one who told you to live right is going to be standing at the finish line. Focus on Christ. Be fashioned after Christ. Why? Because you're going to finish with Christ. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and I'm done. Hebrews chapter 12 and I'm done. I'd beg you this morning to reconsider Christ if you're lost. I'd beg you this morning to reconsider Christ if you're saved. So my life is not what it ought to be. Well, you probably have lost your focus. Your life may be this hot mess like 1 Corinthians tells us this church was. It's because they lost their focus. Focus. Hebrews chapter number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 1 basically says, Get right and do right. How do we do that? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's standing there at the finish line. It's Christ. If you're saved this morning and you're not focused on Christ, you're not worried about being fashioned after Christ, understand you can omit the first two. You will not omit the third. You will finish with Christ. 
You'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says he's the finisher of our faith. Verse 3, watch what it says. For consider him. For consider him. You know what he's saying? He's saying reconsider Christ. If you say, I'm tired of focusing on Christ and let my life be changed by Christ to be fashioned after Christ, I'm tired of that. This world doesn't accept that. The world rejects me because I'm being fashioned more like Christ. The Bible says, reconsider him. Reconsider him. You're going to stand before the finisher of your faith one day. And the reason that you ought to reconsider Christ today is because you're going to finish with him. And Paul simply says this to the church in, in Corinthians. He said, you got to get back to what our focus was. It was Christ. It was Christ. Folks, look, if you just decided to make Christ your focus this morning, you'd find yourself becoming fashioned like him, and you wouldn't be as scared about finishing with him. But it begins with our focus. I wonder this morning if there's any here that are saved, and you're trying all the other ways. You're getting to the line of scrimmage of your life, and you're calling an audible. God, I know you said that, coach. I know what you said in the playbook. I'm going to do things my way, and it just doesn't turn out well. Could I beg you this morning to reconsider Christ? I'm talking to saved people. Why don't you reconsider Christ? Decide you're going to do things the way he drew it up. I'll promise you, his plays are always going to be successful. You wouldn't be such a loser in the spiritual life if you just lived by what thus saith the Lord. I'm going to do things the way you said. And then this morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I don't want any of that. I'm not offering you religion. I'm offering you Christ. I'm offering you Christ. I'm offering you something that's guaranteed, watch this, to make you a new creature. But you've got to decide to reconsider that and trust him yourself this morning. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's stand together.